joining us today to enlighten us all about this literally and figuratively hot chicken chain is Dave's Hot Chicken CEO, Bill Phelps. And welcome, Bill. Thank you. Nice to talk to you today. Well, it's a delight for us, too. Now, I'm just going to start by getting you to tell me why you think this chain and its food are so popular and they have really gained so much attention from its kind of humble start in what I think was a parking lot. Yeah, it's actually a great story. Uh, these were three grade school friends and, and they, uh, one, of, one of whom was a chef uh, in Thomas Keller's Bouchon restaurant and they came up with the idea of a hot chicken and they uh, came up with an incredible recipe, an incredible process. <laughs> but the story was they invited the guys from Eater LA, the big blog, food blog, and they came down, the guy came down to the store thinking he was going to see a restaurant. <laughs> These guys had taken their life savings and put it into two fryers and put it in a parking lot. <laughs> and they were serving up chicken in a parking lot. <laughs> and, and the great line from the guy from Eater LA, and he tried the product, and he said, Dave's Hot Chicken, the Hollywood stand might just blow your mind. Oh, <laughs> man. That's what, yeah, that's what got us the 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 lines and the following and the cult following and my son actually had read it went down and saw it and then uh, we made a deal with those guys about uh, a year later isn't that great yeah. it's great it's great uh so is it i mean as far as the good here um the good is definitely the food so why do you think it's so popular Okay, that's, so it's a great question, and we, we, we ask ourselves, why is this so good? The, the product is absolutely phenomenal. It is, uh, every piece is like, it's hot, it's juicy, it's spicy, and it has the right mix uh, of flavors to it, and everything these guys did. And I went down with my wife to try it the first time, and, and it was one of those that my wife eats fried chicken probably once every five years. And she said, this is incredible. She says, you got to do this. And, <laughs> and the product is absolutely spectacular and it's craveable. I sent some uh, women pro golfers down to our store in San Diego and one of them uh, posted, she said, I think about it every day since I went there. And that's what it is. You have this product that is like, uh, has a cult following because it has such an appeal to it. Um, it's just, it's a craveable product you can't describe. The most craveable product I've ever been involved with. And Bill, for those who don't know, you you do have, as we were kind of chatting before uh, we started the interview, you do have some really good bloodlines when it comes to restaurant touring. Tell, tell everybody a little bit about that. Yeah, well, Rick Wetzel and I were marketing guys at Nestle, and we were on a business trip, went into a mall and saw a pretzel store and said, the food is good, it's fresh, it's everything we learned at Nestle was what the customer was looking for. And so we went up to a bar, grabbed a napkin, and wrote a business plan on the back of a napkin. And that was about 26 years ago. 
And then uh, we were considered the two dumbest guys ever work at Nestle, leaving marketing and vice president jobs to run a pretzel store. But uh, 25 years later, we had 350 of them. Uh, and then during that time, Rick and Elise Wetzel came up with the idea of Blaze Pizza. I co-invested in that with them, and that started in 2012, and it was the fastest growing restaurant chain in the U.S., uh, and it was a, a fabulous business, and, uh, and we've done a private equity deal on that. Uh, but I came here after leaving Wetzel's for 25 years, and this is my next gig, and it's the most fun business I've ever worked on. Oh, isn't that great? Yeah, yeah that's really great. So that's kind of the good. Now the bad yep. and the ugly, as in pandemic. And yep. has Dave's Hot Chicken struggled sales-wise? And if so, kind of how much? And similarly, how much has kind of this health problem changed the way the brand does business and just daily standard operating procedures? Uh, it's a great question. And we were like virtually every restaurateur scared to death when they closed down all the dining rooms across the country in the middle of March. And our business dropped 25% uh, the first couple of weeks. And we were obviously concerned about the future of the business, where we were going with it. But at the same time, we had just started our online ordering process we had pickup windows at the stores uh, and we were doing third-party delivery. And to our amazement, by the second week in April, we were back to doing almost the same volume as before. Uh, and we were seeing this incredible pickup in the business uh, in the month of, uh, months of May and June. And, in the last month, we've, we've hit new records in all of the stores. So the business has just taken off. And we can't really understand why, but we're beating all of our numbers uh, for both projections a year ago. And it's just kind of amazing. It's really fun. So um, how many stores are there now? And like, where open. are they? Yeah. Okay, we've got three in the LA area, Hollywood, uh, Koreatown, and North Hollywood, and then we opened our first location outside of the LA area in San Diego, uh, Pacific Beach specifically, uh, at the end of May, and uh, every store has been a home run. It's just, it blows our mind. Wow, that's encouraging, and particularly in this environment, and, you know, I, I think everything that I've kind of doing my research that I, I saw suggests the brand looks to be taking off on some crazy growth in its future. What's the plan for expansion over the next, say, year and five years? We have uh, put together a plan that was similar to what Blaze Pizza did. Uh, and we have started franchising and I hired a wonderful woman. Shannon Swenson out of Dallas, and she, uh, we have sold the rights to 200 locations uh, in a period of nine months. So this thing is just taking off, and we're bringing in not we're bringing in phenomenal franchisees. We are our bar is very high, like it was with Blaze. We only talk to multi-unit fast food restaurateurs. 
uh, fast food or fast casual restaurateurs. And that's the key. And people come in, they see our product, they see what we're doing, and they're signing up for five and 10 and 20 stores uh, for expansion in their markets. So what kind of franchisee is attracted to this concept? Are you seeing any differences? Uh, well, there's a lot of people that are in concepts that are a little tired uh, and, and that are a little more complicated. And they see this and they see a simple operation. They see a business that can perform really well with no dine-in. Uh, and it's a, a simple concept, and it gets back to the craveability of the product, and that's what gets people really excited. And then we, our first franchise location was the one in San Diego, and I tell the story, uh, the guys had the rights to San Diego, and then uh, they were open for 10 days and put a proposal on my desk to go to 40 uh, stores in four other markets. They were that excited by the business. <laughs> okay, they're believers, okay. Total um, believers, total believers. So I'm just guessing here, but I'm assuming the national love affair with heat as in potent spice is also the key to the brand's popularity. So regarding your heat levels, what's the most popular level and what type of customer orders the Reaper? Okay, great question. The, the most of the business is done in the mild to hot range. Uh, people, that's where people like to go. Uh, it's more middle of the road. Uh, but then we also have extra hot, extra, extra hot, and, and the Reaper. Uh, and what kind of person buys the Reaper? Uh, it's, it's, really, it's a real variance. There are people that are doing it on a dare, and you have to sign a general release of claims in order to get the Reaper. So you literally sign uh, away, and it's more of a marketing shtick and a fun aspect of the marketing. And, but people sign the release, and then they try the product, and they'll share it with their friends, or they'll eat it by themselves. Uh, and it's two groups. It's people really taking a dare, really wanting to go the distance, and then there are people that just love really crazy, hot, spicy food. And it only accounts for on the range of 3 to 4% of the sales. But some people just absolutely love it. Well, don't count me in that group. Um, like, uh, <laughs> okay. I, I, I'm, I'm a real weenie when it comes. I just, I just say it right now. Um. <laughs> and, and, but the thing about it is it, it appeals to everybody because you can literally get no spice and it is a delicious chicken sandwich and it's hot, juicy and a little bit of spice to it. But then, you know, you can go all the way so you can bury it. And over time, you can go a little hotter or a little more mild, depending upon your taste on that day. Now, you know, kind of on that juicy um, end of things. I understand brining is kind of a key part of the preparation of this chicken for Dave's Hot Chicken. So has that, is that still the case? Has it changed any formula-wise since that LA parking lot days? We haven't changed hardly anything. And, and we have great founder partners. The original partners own about half the business. And we brought in investors and myself Rick Watzel owned the other half of the business. And, and 
but we keep the founders very close to us. I, I listen to them on the recipes. I listen to them on the processes, and we're not varying uh, from that. And the other key aspects to the business, one of the original founders is the marketing guy, and he has a better marketing sense than any MBA I worked with at Nestle. He just has it in his gut, and he knows how to connect with his customers. We have 135,000 followers on Instagram, which is off the charts, and he literally connects with them on a daily basis. And it's fun, it's interesting, and he puts up pictures that just make the product craveable. And so that's the key to our marketing is one of the founders is just a, a Instagram genius, uh, and he's done an amazing job. And then we have another founder who I call the real estate whisperer, and he has a gut for real estate like nobody I've ever seen. And we don't pick a location without him approving it because he has a sixth sense for real estate. And then the chef. The chef is phenomenal. And I talked to the chef this week about any changes we could be making in anything we're doing, and I listen very carefully to the chef. Uh, he was known as the spice nerd uh, in his culinary school. While the other guys were looking at baking products, he'd be in the spice room and he was seeing what different spices could do to a product. And so it was just uh, ironic that his, his product that he eventually landed on was a spicy chicken, a hot chicken product. And all of the spices that he studied while in school are the ones that he's incorporated in these recipes. I love those. You have the real estate whisperer, the spice nerd, yep. and uh, I believe the marketing maven. So it, what, yep. let's give them a shout out. What's their names again? So, uh, Okay. So you've got Dave Capuchin is uh, the guy who's the chef, mm -hmm. who it's named after. Uh, and there's Armin, A-R-M-A-N, Oganesian. I'll send you the spelling on that. <laughs> And then there's Gary Rubenian, and he's a few years older than the other guys. Gary's brother, Tommy, was the other founder. But Gary is the, is the real estate whisperer. Wow. Um, what a group. Uh, now, so, so that branding is, is staying the same. Uh, from I'm not, we're, not, we're, we're, we're trying to keep it as pure to what these guys originally came up with as possible. We've got a phenomenal product that is craveable and delicious, and I don't want to change it. From my end, um, Dave's hot chicken, and, and really you kind of touched on the edges of this, it appears to have a relatively simple menu. So how important is that kind of simplicity to the brand? How do you provide variety to customers or do you? Is that something they want? The, uh, that's a great question again. How do you do it? And, and, <laughs> and they're the guy that they, like the brand that they look at as their emulator brand, if you will, is In-N-Out. And In-N-Out does an absolutely phenomenal job with a, an extremely limited menu. And by definition, if you're in the restaurant business, you know the bigger that menu gets, the more things you can screw up. 
and conversely, the, the, the more narrow the menu, the easier it is to do it incredibly well. And that's what we focus on. And so all of our chicken is based on one product and, and we make sliders, but you get variety, whether you can go with just a tender or you can go with a slider, you can get it with cheese, you can get it with sauce. Uh, and then obviously you can get it at seven different levels of heat. So it can be different every time you try it. Uh, but the product just has this incredible appeal to it because of, of the variety of spices. It looks beautiful in the pictures, I'm telling you. I mean, I'm not, I'm not out in California, so I don't have access to it, but it looks like you want to pick it up and, and just take a bite. You do. And my, 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 and my wife said, you know, she went to the store and then she goes, she follows on Instagram and she goes, the pictures on Instagram just make you want to go, go there. You just like have to go. Uh, and that's the, that's the appeal of the Instagram marketing. And, and that's why it's worked so well for us. Well, now, finally, I'm kind of wondering about your side items. Of them, yep. I, you have a kale slaw, is it? Kale slaw, yes. So is that a top choice? And, and how important are sides to your overall bot, bottom line? So, sides, uh, everyone basically gets a side because people are ordering in combos. but And so a, a side will come of that. But the line share, of the, we offer kale slaw. We offer mac and cheese. But then we or offer fries, and ninety percent of the business is in the fries. That's where that's where people go. It's the perfect complement to the sliders or uh, the, the tenders. Well, you know how can you go wrong? Um. <laughs> you can't go wrong. It's it's phenomenal. And I sit here and think about. It. I've been doing this for more than a year and a half now and i can't wait for our next product tasting because i get to go down and eat days for lunch <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much you know it sounds like okay. you don't need any help so we just wish you continued success with this venture and i think you're gonna get it i appreciate it it's very nice to talk to you it's nice to talk to you thanks have a great day and to our listeners, don't go away now, because in just a brief second, we'll be back with digital customer experience expert Dan Lubetsky from Publicis Sapient. Stay with us. All right, now we are back and moving from one hot topic to another now. We turn to the much-discussed possibility that we might be heading into even tougher economic times in coming days, meaning value-based dining will become even more important to consumers. That suggests an even stronger role for QSRs that not only offer that value pricing, but also have adapted their delivery and takeout tech to fit market demand into the future. But there's still room for improvement for many brands. And at a time when only those QSRs that have their digital houses in order will survive, it pays to be ahead of the curve. Fortunately, we have a pro in-house to cover the essentials of that subject today in Publicis Sapiens Travel and Hospitality Practices Senior Director of Customer Experience and Innovation, Dan Lubetsky. And welcome, Dan. 
Hi, Shelly. Glad to be here. Delighted to have you. Now, just a little bit of brief background on you for our audience. You have 14 years of experience in digital strategy and consulting, analytics, CRM, and integrated marketing and media with expertise in really pinpointing the best ways brands can boost their digital sales. So if you can, first today, just give the restaurant leaders listening an idea of what digital's role really is, or at least can be, during a recession and how that differs from its role in more economically stable times. Definitely. Uh, you know, one of the interesting things is there are some predictions that we are going to be entering a recession before the pandemic. Um, this both was in general economic analysis as well as in the restaurant vertical specifically. Then we've seen the impact of COVID-19, the economic challenges people face, jobs being lost, and a lot of pivoting um, within the broader restaurants, informal eating out, QSR category. And we've also seen this tremendous shift towards digital transformation. And all of these are hitting right around the same time. So the role of digital is crucial. It's been a crucial journey to transform. It's even more important while going through the pandemic. And during a recession, digital tools are gonna to be critical in captivating engaged audiences in new ways as they are routine shift. So I think the combination has led to some interesting insights. Um, specifically, um, NPD Group has shared that, um, you know, digital restaurant ordering adult 65 and, and older increased over 400% year over year in June. That isn't a recession specific insight, but as we look at new audiences that may have not been as engaged in digital channels before, now having a broader set of capabilities while more people are at home, potential day parts uh, being impacted as you lose the normal work routines. We look at different ways in which you may order and fulfill the respective uh, menu items during the day and the impact of changing health considerations is during recessions, there's insights that you're not as concerned about your overall health and eating habits. We're gonna see this influx of how digital can capture engaged audiences in new ways. All right, now let's hone in maybe a little further if we may and have you tell us some ways QSRs can really drive value for customers during an economic downturn? Most definitely. During a recession, it's pretty clear that there's a lot of value and price sensitivity. Um, it's important to consider every dollar you spend. And as you may shift from having um, more spend in the restaurant space when you're eating out or in fine dining, that may shift moving back to more informal eating out or fast casual even you know, into QSR as well. As you look at the ways in which digital, it can be kind of most apparent and, and kind of pinpoint to driving um, high value with customers is through a couple factors that really come to life in a digital channel that are that much harder in a physical space. So the combination of being able to drive different price motivators that are personalized to a customer's experience, profile, past ordering, leveraging data and AI to really harness these recommendations. 
you can drive that right deal or promotion for the customer in the moment. You can leverage that through a variety of digital channels, whether the customer has the mobile app of a given restaurant chain or is um, you know, kind of shopping or engaging with content on the web or um, maybe, maybe seeing an ad through a social channel. As we look at the influx of that social engagement, having that, that right offer at the moment is even more important. Some of the other factors I think are on bundling. So what specific products may go better together as we see changes in eating habits, as we see changes in family dynamics, um, and as we see the kind of importance once again for that, that, that dollar going as far as it can, what, how can you bundle your products and package them up in a really friendly way that drives that engagement? That also leads us into family packages. So if you're now not just buying a meal for yourself, maybe at lunchtime in a past routine going to work, but now it's lunchtime for the family, how can a restaurant group be there to support the ever-changing dynamics we have um, in a kind of um, less traditional mode of operation and during a time when you need to take care of, of a kind of hungry bunch. Um, another example of that would be bulk orders. Um, and not just maybe your family, but now you're ordering for a group. You want to find a way to have entertainment, but you're going to manage, manage your budget, manage your wallet. How can you have ordering for more? And all of these factors are elements that through the use of digital tools that can connect to the restaurant's operations and can you know, be synced from the menu and the overall offering, the best way to display that and to engage the customer is right at your fingertips. And so digital kind of brings all of this up to the forefront. And I'd wrap that with a growing trend in loyalty. So how important may it be to both be getting an offer or deal when there are uh, clear rules and opportunities around price motivators, but also driving longer term value for the customer as they're building into a loyalty program, knowing that they have an ability to continue to buy and reap rewards um, with the restaurant group. And the restaurants and QSRs are actually gaining insights about their customers to better support them during a time of need. Wonderful. So really driving home loyalty through loyalty. <laughs> through the loyalty apps and uh, programs that you've got. So, so if you can, uh, let's now focus just on the US and explore what you see as the businesses that are best poised to succeed in a recession. I think there have been a lot of great digital transformation efforts across the space over the last several months while we're dealing with all of these changes. Some of the brands who are really poised to continue, if not see an increase, are um, some of the kind of constant growth through the spring into summer in pizza chains. Domino's has been doing you know, an incredible job in ensuring that it is easy to order food from them as few touches, as few clicks as possible. Any way you want your food delivered, they're innovating and bringing that to the forefront. They're leveraging a digital platform to basically scale. And this was spoken about in their you know, Q2 earnings call. Um, I think they're poised to really um, drive value into uh, a recession. Um, and we've recently seen them even looking at a couple product innovations, which they haven't really bought, brought into market in a long time. I think it was quoted eight years since they had 
brand new um, product shared. Um, and one of which, you know, driving on a trend in sort of the Taco Tuesday um, uh, um, excitement and actually having a kind of taco uh, based, based pizza. And so being able to like innovate from the core while being able to drive physically or metaphorically the food to wherever you are as conveniently as possible is critical. So they're, they're poised to, to do very well. I think we're seeing other brands who've been really, really pushing digital agenda forward um, with Chipotle too, um, you know, doubling down on contact lists, mobile order ahead, um, using their Chipotle lanes, and really actually scaling out new methods to fulfill orders and get the food delivered to you. There are of course, like many on third party delivery channels as well. And I think it kind of encapsulating that where they're driving a lot of this through the use of data as another tremendous example. Um, Dunkin' Donuts similarly, um, I think is in, a, is in a great spot. How they have, have, have scaled in the you know, highly convenient, high volume um, you know, coffee market and bakery um, is similar approach in terms of the overall digital platform in bringing out um, kind of new value through loyalty and driving the contactless capabilities. So pretty similar pattern in terms of the on the go, ease of um, picking up or getting your food delivered and use of digital to both spark the ordering and then reap the longer term value through loyalty. Um, you know, lastly, I think when we look at just sheer volume and overall um, foundation, you know, McDonald's is in a great position as well. You know, they and several others in 2008 um, were able to basically um, um, succeed as much as possible or, or, or be resilient, if you will, during the, the last recession. And I think being able to leverage customer insights, manage the menu and deliver to customers' needs with digital being one of the most critical ways to do that, we're going to see them continuing to support their very large customer base too. Fascinating. Now, let's not forget though most of us would probably like to, that all this is taking place in the midst of this pandemic. So then based on what we've seen from the COVID-19 crisis, what other considerations do you think QSR leaders should be thinking about right now and into the future? Well, while we're going through COVID-19, did want to do a little comparison to 2008 because the world has changed. So in 2008, we saw QSRs prove the resilience per the last, last question. And some of the top restaurant chains um, saw while the growth slipped, they were still growing. So it was reported that in 2008, there was a growth slip to 3.4% in 2008 compared to the 5% in 2007. Being able to look at 2008 versus now, we have a different set of capabilities at the restaurant's um, direct ability to engage with customers. We have this influx of customer data and new channels. We have the transformation agenda. And so while this impact of COVID has led to some insights that we'll get into, I think it's also been an accelerant for why digital is so important. So as we look at some of these key factors today, we know safety, contactless, and being mobile first are imperatives. We're seeing that across every restaurant group from your local 
mom and pop to the large QSRs that are you know, global reaching. We're seeing the kind of weaving of digital and mobile as different uh, uses within that. How can they inform and support customers and be a platform for supporting their own employees and crew and franchise partners, as well as being utilitarian in actually facilitating the order and experience, whether that's in serving something through the third-party delivery channels or fulfilling it themselves or being that supporting touch point as you go contactless through drive-through. That category is a tremendous importance and most definitely new to today from 2008. In addition, I think some of the other unique factors we're going to see are we'll probably see high traffic in the curbside and drive-through. Um, curbside and drive-through are not new, but they are growing and ever more important as we look at this shifting tide between the combination of economic concerns and, and COVID-19. So for the most part, you know, we're seeing drive-through make up something between 50 and 70% of total revenue in 2019. You know, this, this means the importance of drive-through is there. When we look at the impact of COVID-19, we're still seeing high engagement in the drive-through. Um, companies like McDonald's and Starbucks both reported that over 90% of sales in Q2 2020 came through the drive-through. So when we look across the sector, we're going to see the need to still be able to fulfill meals and drive as much traffic as, as possible through these, you know, somewhat now traditional channels. And I think the digital implication of it is going to be um, a bit unique as we look at innovations around um, ordering at the drive-through, recommendation engines, personalization, menu customization, um, and ensure that you're still driving as much traffic through and as quickly as possible for performance while delivering that. We also may see some innovations in terms of pickup around potentially walk-up um, pickup options, grab-and-go um, features, so that we're still getting use out of physical space, but um, being as contact-free or contactless as possible in different settings when we're talking about, you know, urban versus rural, you know, along a highway versus in a, um, a downtown um, environment. I think we'll see some changes just in terms of, of the, the growth and importance of those areas and some slight innovations around, around, um, around those two channels. Delivery has become a critical channel for QSRs, but I specifically believe we're going to see growth through the third-party services. Those who are already offering um, new, new services to customers and to different restaurants, such as DoorDash coming out with a marketplace. But in addition, from a, a specific value standpoint, the ability for the third-party services to offer promotions and deals with their increased restaurant options. So being able to have consistent engagement with a wide variety of restaurants, local favorites, new entrants, and your con constant uh, uh, chains that you may engage with, but be able to package that with um, high use of first-party data that they have gleaned over growing their market share, and then being able to kind of leverage that to help provide the customer with really relevant 
promotions and deals. I think we will see additional growth there and new tests and innovations try to support customers through the recession. I think there still may be some challenges though in the category where we may see spend being cut back on different parts of the broad restaurant vertical in areas that are potentially things like bakery or higher end coffee, where these just may be areas where customers choose not to spend and maybe they're making you know, coffee in their own um, kind of methods at home instead. So I think there may be different ways in which customers are saving that impact just broad reach of those respective restaurants in a channel like delivery. But in general, uh, I believe there'll be additional growth in the space. Dan Lebatsky is Senior Director of Customer Experience and Innovation at Digital Consultancy, Publicis Sapient, and its travel and hospitality practice. You have been a true wealth of information for our listeners and myself today, Dan. So thanks so much for your time. And that goes for our audience's time, too, for which QSR Web is eternally grateful every show. For now, then, we'll sign off and wish you a great day and great business. Bye now.